0: What is up, everybody? Happy Monday, and welcome into the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matez, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Tim, how was your weekend?
1: Weekend was great until Sunday, about 1 o'clock, or about 2.30, I'd say, halftime of the Commanders-Giants game. It was great until that point. Phenomenal weekend, actually. Uh, and I'm really glad that days like that, I do an NBA show, so I don't have to talk about football. <laughs>
0: for for sure man for sure my Broncos on the other hand made me proud gave me a great weekend all around so uh, so it was good on today's show we do have a great one for you because we had a great Suns jazz game last night that goes not into one but two overtimes had a couple clutch moments and a controversial call we're going to talk about that we're also going to talk about the Kings and Mavs game talk about the Mavs in terms of how big of a threat are they out west and then later on in the show, in the back half of the show, we're going to do a little "Would You Rather." Build your team around Cade or Scotty Barnes, Paolo or Shangoon, a bunch of others of those players, kind of in the same category, same age, and it'll give us an opportunity to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of building around each team. But first, got to tell you, we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out the DraftKings. Check out all DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALL NBA because life's more fun. When you're in on the action, DraftKings, the crown is yours. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void, were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for more details. Tim, I want to start out a new segment here. We're gone from, we missed the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games no show. We come back on Monday, and I want to look around and just see if you had a weekend warrior, a standout from the weekend. It can be a player, team, coach, anything. Is there somebody that stood out to you as the weekend warrior this weekend?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with a guy that, uh, you know, really doesn't need any more accolades because he's done pretty much everything he can in his career. But I think for me, I look at a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo right? and, and the, the day he had on Saturday against Dallas, 40 points, 15 boards, seven dimes. And I think, I think there's a little added juice for Giannis when he goes against certain guys. And I think Luke is one of those guys, right? Because you know, look, Giannis is a two-time MVP. Giannis is a guy that I think feels like maybe some people have moved on from him, right? In, in, that, in thinking about that award, because yeah, you got Jokic winning some, and B just got one. You've got guys. I always refer to it as taking that ticket at the deli line, right? And they're standing there waiting to get their cold cuts, right? Winning an MVP award, and and I mean young players that you know are in line. It's a right. matter of time, right? They they're going to have right. a turn, and there's a list of those guys. And Luca's a, a guy probably right there at the top of the list. Tatum would be on that list, right? Those guys are right there, and it, so I think for Giannis going up against Luca, it, it provided a little extra, and it was a shootout one thirty two one twenty five, and, and Giannis puts up a monster stat line in a very high profile game, especially with the start that the Mavericks have had, and and Giannis comes out on top, making a I think a pretty pound the gavel moment for him and reminding people like, Hey, you know, I don't think I need to necessarily be done with these MVP type discussions. Um, That was that kind of performance for me, because it was not just as a scorer, he dominated all over the floor Um, on the glass playmaker defensively. He did everything. So for me, it was Yana stood out. I think more than anybody from the weekend. And it was a must-needed, you know, good
0: win for the Bucks Early in the year, wins, losses, you also want to look at good wins, and that was a good win for the Bucks, getting Bucs, uh, downing the Mavs. And then on the other side, the Mavs kind of need a good win. They've had some wins, but what are their good wins? When you look at the profile, that could have been won. It wasn't. The Kings game could have been won. That wasn't as well. We'll talk about that coming up. I'm going to give it to the Thunder. They're on a five-game win streak. We talked about them last week and how it's coming together, where it's not just a collection of players, but now you see the vision. To me, the vision was extended over the weekend when this team now is in such a rhythm and, and connected that I look at them and I go five-game win streak, the second best. There's two teams with a six-game win streak, the Kings and the Celtics, but they have a five-game win streak, and it's starting to come together for them. So they were my weekend warriors. But let's um let's get into the game now that we want to talk about and break down, and that is the Suns and the Jazz, Booker and KD. You know, back together again and getting a little bit of momentum going. The Utah Jazz have an interesting thing going in that they have handed the keys over to Keontae George over the last five games, letting him get an extended run. This was a great game for him uh, to kind of play some pressure minutes against a high-profile opponent. And it went to double overtime. Some big-time shots in this one comes down to the very last second. An inbound corner heave, basically, uh, from Larry Markinen originally called as a foul on Kevin Durant, they review it and say no foul. Um, first of all, let's just start with the controversy as an interesting one, because usually when there's a review, you know, like, okay, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be that. This was one where I wasn't sure, but I kind of thought they were gonna lean towards, it was a foul. KD hits the ball, finishes a little bit on the wrist, it was a tough one. What do you make of the call and and, and what did you think of that play?
1: I think for me, uh, you know, it, it seen it the first time then the first replay, my initial gut instinct was that was going to be a foul. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, and I'm, I'm really, really big on differentiating between protecting a shooter and not. And, and if you get, you know, cause I just know shooting a basketball, any bit of disruption with physical contact to any part of your arm is more than enough to to, to cause a shot to miss. And, and you are talking about something of that importance, you know, to go up, and contest it to that extent, first of all. You, you just don't see that. Guys typically will be in the area on the catch, and the last thing you want to do is commit a foul. Rarely do guys jump in that situation. And Kevin Durant, already you know, seven feet tall practically, can just put his arms up and offer plenty deterrent without leaving the ground and just kind of stand there vertical. But he didn't. I mean, he went up there with a full contest on the basketball. And I think that that contact of hand-on-hand at the end of that, it's just enough to certainly disrupt that. So I, I was kind of surprised in looking All at right. that that they didn't go with what the initial call was on the court. I, I was it, it surprised me, and I, you know, I understand what people are going to say, and I think it's going to fall into two camps. Basically, if you're a Suns fan, no way should that have been a foul, and pretty much everybody else watching, I think they think it should have been. That's kind of how the two camps are going to. And and look, fortunately right. for Phoenix, they get it. I mean, he was going to have to go make three free throws, which which right. is always awkward and difficult at the end of the game but he had he had quite a night market and i'm gonna get into that in a minute but for me that's what i thought what what did you see man did you think that was going to be a foul man i i'm telling you
0: this is the most 50 50 call i think i can see because he hits the ball first and there's part of me that says okay at that point it's no longer a shot you know you got the ball first and the follow through as long as you're not running into the body or landing under the zone or whatever then then it's okay but at the same time you're right he still followed through with the shot he still gets hit in the wrist so to me, it was 50-50, and it's funny that you said both sides, you know, are going to see what they want. After the game, Kevin Durant said, I knew it wasn't a foul. I knew they were going to overturn it. And then Larry Markkinen said the same thing. I knew it was a foul. I thought for sure they were going to did it. So you're right. Both sides um, definitely feel 100% certain about this one. But it was a good game anyway. And I'm curious what you thought stood out to you about this one. I mean, the Utah Jazz have not been good this year, but they were competitive in this game. You know, why were they competitive?
1: Well, Laurie Markkinen was spectacular. I the most interesting part of the game to me was the was the the one on one challenge with he and Durant. You know, both these guys put up monster numbers and, and it, Durant was getting irritated with Marketing defensively. He was putting his hands on Kevin Durant a lot, even on just trying to make basic cuts uh to try to initiate a set. Markkinen was chest to chest with him, you know, 30 feet from the basket, hitting him and then putting his hands on him. Durant chopping at his arm. You know, at one point they had to come up uh, kind of come over and talk to both guys. Um I just love that and rose to the challenge of this against a guy like Durant who was cooking, had it going, and the one-on-one back and forth and, and, and guarding each other a lot. I just thought that was fascinating matchup. But then to me, what really this game is going to be remembered for is the spectacular fashion in which Kevin Durant closed this game repeatedly. And it wasn't just one moment. It was the entire basically last half of the fourth quarter, both overtimes, and they weren't just giving him the ball and letting him iso. They were running. They were running a lot of wrinkles, but they were trying to get switches on ball screens and things like that. They were running some ball reversal with a down screen, bringing him out different places. Booker was involved too, but it was primarily Durant. They ran everything through him and trying to let him exploit these matchups. And man, when Kevin Durant gets going like that, he reminds everybody. Right? You know, you can make a debate about some other guys about best player in the league, Adam. But when you just talk about best raw scorer an unstoppable scorer, Kevin Durant's playing like that. He's the top of the list. And he gets into that jump shot. It's unstoppable because of his his height, his lean back, and a high release. What are you supposed to do? I mean, there were times the guys are right there in his grill, and he just rises up to a place he's so comfortable because of his release point, his length, and his touch didn't matter. So I thought that's what I'm going to remember about that game. First of all, it was one of those entertaining games I watched all year, and Durant. The way he closed it for the Suns, that's kind of to me what stood out the most. And it's a couple games in a
0: row now for KD. He's in a rhythm. You know, he's kind of found a rhythm over these last little bit. And, you know, really since Booker returned. And I was interested as well because Devin Booker to me, when I watched the playoffs last year, Devin Booker was the guy who was scarier in that Nugget series than I thought KD was. In this game, he has it going. And they ran, you were talking about some of the actions they ran. When it got to overtime, they ran a lot of just KD, Booker, ball screens. You'd get a switch, and they'd put him on the elbow or on the block and just let him operate. And w- in the few times that Utah didn't send the double, because they Durant was cooking him in regulation. So in the, in the overtime, they start to try to send the double. KD made the right plays, and then the few times they didn't, he turned and scored. But I did think it was interesting that that Phoenix's game plan in the clutch was to go to Kevin Durant. You always wonder, what, what's it going to be like? They kept running that rub action and then going to KD and letting him operate
1: well, the, th- and the thing is, look, I know you've got Kevin Durant in your roster, but it won't be Kevin Durant every night. Not when you've got Devin right. Booker. It just won't be. And then, of course, you're going to have Bradley Beal. But I think Bradley Beal is clearly going to be the third guy. now. But they're all three of these guys are so explosive on a given night, right? If one guy gets rolling, and we've seen it time and time again for all three players. You know, maybe they do ride that. You know, Durant. Even on nights he doesn't shoot well, you're just so tempted to go there because you know for a fact Kevin Durant can get a shot off against any defender at any time, and it's going to be a clean look because of his size. I think it's the, it's the probably the best combination in one body of length, handle, and shooting. The league has never seen a player with that length, handle, and shooting, and so you know you're not going to be stuck because you know sometimes a smaller guard, six-five guy. You can get bottled up by a 6'8 defender. If he, if he guards him really well, gets off his feet, right? That's going to be a very difficult shot sometimes for guys like Devin Booker. Kevin Durant, like every shot he gets off in a late-game situation is going to be a clean look for the most part for him. He won't always make them, but it's going to be a high percentage play. So I think even on nights where Durant doesn't shoot well, that's probably where they're going to go. And I was saying to you before we came on, you know, nights like that, the reminder he gives you how, how just how incredible he is to watch when he gets going like that, there's just no answer. And like guy's putting their hand up, turning, ball goes through, and then the shoulders just drop because he's just like, what else am I supposed to do against this guy? That's, that's kind of what Durant had going there late.
0: Yeah, and their offense isn't necessarily dynamic, you know, in terms of, like, intricacies that they can't switch that so if it is booker going it's not hard to say okay we're going to flip this action now booker's going to be the guy to cook and so that's why i think it works but for me one of the questions i have you're absolutely right the handle the shot and the length those are the things but the playmaking and the decision making for kd has always been a little hit or miss to me and i thought last night he had some great decision making in the post off the double he was patient when the doubles came And then Phoenix seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do in terms of working the ball around. And guys made shots. Aaron Gordon had had some big shots. Grayson Allen had some good like cuts to the basket. But Kevin Durant, to me, that's one of the big questions. When you talk about what happens when you add a Beal, what what is the final form of this team? To me, Kevin Durant is going to have to be a better decision maker than he's been in the last two playoffs. And last night, I know it's a regular season game against a bad team, but last night he made great decisions in overtime, and Phoenix scored almost every time.
1: Yeah, I love that point. I, you know, I think when you go back to the Oklahoma City days, Kevin Durant, you know, at that time in the game, had one thing on his mind. I don't think he, anybody would have considered him a great decision maker at that time of his career. Put him, put him in Golden State. He didn't have to be a great decision maker. right? There's just too much on the court, really. So anybody could make the decisions you had to make in Golden State. Again, though, he was probably looking for his own shot first. You're right about last night. There were multiple occasions. And they, they, he would back guy down to a post a little bit. They'd run somebody at him. He'd, he'd, he'd find the guy on the perimeter for a kick out. But then there was two other occasions in important times. He had the ball in the wing. They started to run somebody at him, and, and there was a cutter, and he held the ball as late as he possibly could because I think a couple of times the cutters weren't sure they were going to get the ball. They were cutting through the lane, and then kind of the last second glanced over at KD, and boom, the ball was delivered, and you get an easy bucket. Uh, Nurkic got one of those. And – so for me, it was the patience he was showing. It's hard to be on the perimeter and see a guy running at you and not immediately want to give that ball up to the first open body you see on the perimeter because you don't want to get pinned and turn the ball over at important time. So for him to hold it, continue to survey the paint, there's traffic in there, and wait on the on that cutter to right. turn his head. It's a very late decision. And you deliver it, you deliver it on a rope, you get it there in time and you get an easy basket. And then that creates doubt. In the defense, the next trip. Like, do we go? You don't want to give up another layup. And so then he gets this one-on-one coverage, utilizes the jab step, and gets to where he wants to on the floor. So I thought it was just a literally a masterful offensive performance out of Durant the entire last, you know, uh 16 minutes of the game, probably.
0: It's like, you know, I fishing with my dad back when I was a kid. He'd always tell you, get the bite, don't don't pull it right away. Let it set the hook. Let the fish kind of get it. That's it's Durant great. the post last night. You know, as soon as the rotation comes, you throw it, they can rotate back or whatever. But he was very patient. He allowed the defense to fully commit out of position and then trusted the playmaking and trusted the ball to find the open person. And 10 assists last night, a near triple-double for KD. 39 points and 10 assists. That's an all-around offensive performance from him. So it kind of shows up in the numbers. The other interesting decision that they made last night was that to close the game and – or actually, rather, in the first overtime – They go to Keita Bates-Diop as their center, and they play really small. John Collins, Kata Bates-Diop, that's a pretty small ball lineup for both teams. And then the second overtime, they went to Yusef Nurkic. I'm curious less about the effectiveness of last night, because the Suns should have won in regulation, and they should have won in overtime. They kind of blew it, to be honest, to make this an even closer game. But I'm curious what you think about their – what's their best line? Especially if we think about Beal coming back, or maybe you can even forget it. I'm very curious if their best lineup does feature a Nurkic. Does it feature a small ball with Keta Bates-Diap? Does it feature more defense
1: and less offense? You know, when you look at their lineup, what do you think makes sense for them as their best punch? So I will contrast them with a team like Golden State, right, which we know for a fact their best lineup is Draymond Green at center, right? That's just statistically been proven. It's where they're most comfortable. And they don't give up that much because of Draymond Green's competitiveness against bigger guys. So you don't you don't get pounded like that. You still they still get beat up on the glass sometimes, but overall, um, they don't feel like they're going to lose that battle because of what they're going to create on the other end of the floor and how hard it is. Guard now, Phoenix. That's not the case. I do believe it's going to be you know dependent on who they are playing. And what they are seeing, because there's going to be some lineups that Nurkic is going to be a liability against defensively certain teams, and what they're putting out there. Now he was spectacular last night. I think it was his best game of the year. He had, I agree. He had, a, pre- he had a presence all over the court. He made yep. great decisions with the ball. He 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 was physical when he needed to be. I just thought he played a great game. And there are nights I watch Nurkic, and he's always you know this physical presence. He's very skilled. But then there's some times where you're just like, man, you know, the guy's just, just so late defensively or he's he just not sliding his feet. Um, and he's a non-factor for stretches. Last night that wasn't the case. So I think ultimately, like if you told me I could only pick one or the other, I would say bigger, better for them with Nurkic. But I do think having the flexibility to go small is going to be something that benefits them. There will be teams that it's going to be critical that they can play that lineup and not give up anything defensively. So uh, it's it's just different than Golden State because there's a right answer for them all the time pretty much. That's not the case with Phoenix. I think it's depending on the matchup.
0: And last night, the difference offensively for, for the Suns, because you think about that's a defensive adjustment, but offensively they kept going to KD, and when Nurkic was not in there, they would have Gordon or Grayson Allen just cut. It would be five out spacing, you know, him kind of on the elbow, and they'd have one guy cut and then work it around the horn. When Nurkic was on there, he was sort of a weak side flare screener. So rather than cut or anything, he would just get ready for the kickout and try to screen the skip pass or the extra pass that would be coming. So it's just a di- little bit of a different wrinkle out of the same action that they're trying to run. Um, I will say, you know, they give up 137 to the Jazz. It is double overtime, but that is my question about the Suns team. As you talk about adding Beal to this mix, the, does the offense really get better? I mean, their offense right now is so incredibly, you know, potent, and you are talking about swinging and finding the open guy. But I look at them and I go, when they have Kata Bates, Diop, and Grayson Allen on the court, they at least have two guys that are going to fly around and make plays, rebounds, and what have you. Nurkic, if he's big, he's another one of those guys. At some point, you're taking off one of your few defensive guys for an offensive guy. And that's why I'm so curious to see Beal with this group, because I'm just curious to see there's a limit to how good you can be on either end of the court, offensively or defensively. And I just wonder if the Suns are already at their limit. They're so good offensively. I, does Beal really make them that much better?
1: That's what we're going to find out. I wish I had the definitive answer on that. Um, look, they. this is the most firepower any team has. And their top three guys, nobody can match what those three guys are capable of doing. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of staggered minutes. I mean, you have to, right? If you're Frank right. Vogel, if you're yeah, Frank Vogel good. and you ever, ever have less than two of those guys on the court at the same time, right? You should be investigated. You should be investigated <laughs> because that's the luxury. And I, and believe it or not, I right. say that Kiddingly, we've had big threes in this league, and we don't talk about big threes as much. It's now like kind of like the big twos on a lot of these teams. We had big threes like that was the thing we were talking about every day. And I would be surprised some nights when I'd watch some of those teams play, and there'd be one guy out there with two guys. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why you can't always have two. Because of that, you're going to obviously they start they're going to start the game together. Eventually, they will start the second half, and they will finish the game. So you're talking about right there. 18 to 20 minutes yeah. together the rest of the game i think you're going to see them staggered two at a time and you know it's, it's it's you know another 15 to 20 minutes 28 minutes You know, the rest of the game of staggered minutes with two of those guys with i think when you have two the spacing is better for them they, they feel more empowered right when there's three it's absolutely a case where you know, you, you, you kind of looking around, like you're a little bit deferential and maybe you're not as aggressive as you want to be. When there's two of you ball comes up your side of the floor, man, it's your turn. Next time might come up my side of the floor, it's going to be my turn. And that's kind of how they would play with two guys. So I don't think that's going to be a big problem for them. And like I said, it's, it's up to Frank Vogel to make sure that that happens. You're going to have two of the best scorers on the floor at any time in the game. Very few teams, if any, Have three guys like that that you know for a fact you've got two of the best offensive players on the court at all times if you stagger their minutes properly. So I put the challenge on Vogel, and I'll be watching that on given nights to find out if you get caught in a bad shift, there's no excuse for it unless unless you have foul trouble, right? That's the only reason. Or a guy's not playing, he's hurt. That's it. If they're all three healthy, you've got to make sure that you're not caught in that situation. But even with the
0: stagger, because I agree with you, that is the benefit. Even with the stagger, you just looked to, and you said they're going to close games. Who are the other two guys around them? And that's just such a fascinating yeah. question. Sadly, we're not going to find out for a couple weeks because it comes out. Bradley Beal rumored to be in the lineup, and then he's out. And now he's out for another three weeks. So it might be you know closer to Christmas that we're going to be able to see that, um, which is a huge bummer. Um, on the other side, just real quick, I want to talk jazz. Keontae George has started the last five games. This is a team that clearly seems to be in rebuild mode. They were last year, despite getting off to a hot start, then obviously start playing some of these younger guys. But Keontae George, you know, good passer. I think an interesting player. His shooting and efficiency numbers are really bad, and you saw some of that last night. I mean, he had a handful of, you know, driving to the basket. Can he finish around the rim? You see young players sometimes, and it's like they're missing them, but they're putting shots up. He had some misses I thought last night around the rim that were like, man, he has a long way to go to being a rim finisher. Have you anything stand out to you about him as a prospect or as a player?
1: Uh the thing that stood out to me, I think the most last night and he had a couple back-to-back pretty good games coming in 15 and 15 points, two games in a row, seven dimes, six dimes. For the most part shot pretty well from the floor. What stood out to me last night was, you're right. He he was missing shots um and he also had a couple turnovers that were yeah. you know, just like a young player like getting yeah. kind of like introduced to the nba type of turnovers but i love the fact that he continued to stay on the floor and like bring bring the ball up and the look on his face was unfazed and Mm. the next time he'd get an opportunity to have a driving lane or get to the rim he took it he wasn't just out there playing passively and conservatively like a lot of young players would on a night when they shoot two for 12 right and they've got some turnovers and and you're not a factor and you got two other guys that are rolling a lot of young point guards would just safely advance the ball, kind of get get rid of it, and now just go kind of wow. camp out. He didn't do that. He came up the floor, his head was up, he was he was handling it against pressure at the mid court line, and then if he got it in a situation where he got a brush screen, he went downhill and tried to get to the rim and continue to make plays. I think that's a very positive sign. Um, anytime you got a young point guard in this league, the learning curve is so is so dramatic, and he's going to have nights where he definitely looks like, hey, don't they have a better choice over there? But I think letting him play through his mistakes is going to bode well for them. I like what I've seen out of him. He's a very confident uh, player. And now it's a matter of getting more comfortable and being more efficient. I
0: think point guard is the toughest, like true point guard, not scoring or combo guard, but true point guard is the hardest, especially for young players. And he's young. I think he's only 20. Because when you're a shooter, you know, it's easy for you to say, okay, I'm not making shots. I got to go rebound. I got to go do this, this or that. When you're a table setter, You have to table set every play. There's no, oh, I'll just go involve myself in other ways. You got to bring the ball up. You got to get the team organized and all those different things. And when you're in a struggle, there's just nowhere to hide. And I think for, you said the the learning curve is steep for point guard, young point guards. I agree. Um, But it's also a confidence thing. I think there's so few true point guards in part because the runway has to be so long for them to figure things out. You have to be patient and they have to maintain their confidence throughout that development. So he's an interesting one because he does kind of fit that, truer point guard mole uh, mold and i'm kind of curious to see how he develops all right let's take a break on the other side kings mavs the kings are one of the hottest teams in all of basketball right now so we'll talk about them a little bit more on the other side as well as the Mavs and what they need to do but first we got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor nba fans the wait is over basketball is back and DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba is celebrating with an unbeatable offer New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone can get a shot at a bigger payday by combining multiple bets on a single game. You can bet basketball is obviously the most fun sport to bet on, but football Sunday, bet on the commander's turnovers. That that would be my bet right now. Not (laughs) Legs off screen right now, so I'm going to... (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to rhythm a little bit. Take me over on Commander's turnovers. Uh, Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALL NBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALL NBA the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction void in ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see sportsbook.draftkings.com basketball uh, terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources oh there you go emma's on the screen Emma. All right. <laughs> shouts to producer Hey, then
1: uh, that, that, listen that that shot about the turnovers was well deserved i'm not even fighting back on it i'm not even fighting back on it <laughs>
0: That was good. That's the smart bet, man. You got to. You look, man. You can be a fan, but you got to put your money good. where 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 the smart money is. Um, the Kings took care of the Mavericks over the weekend. Mavericks, actually, I thought, especially in the second half, just completely collapsed in this game. But maybe you should credit the Sacramento Kings, who are one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now, absolutely rolling, shooting lights out. They were struggling to shoot until De'Aaron Fox comes back. All of a sudden, they can't miss. They go seventeen of forty from three last night. That's good for forty two and a half percent. Legs, what stood out to you about this game?
1: All right. So, holiday season is, is beginning, and I'm a big holiday, like Christmas movie guy, right? And uh, The Grinch is Stole Christmas is one of my favorites, both the animated version okay. and the Jim Carrey version. So, I'm think- sitting there watching Devonta Sabonis last night, and all I'm thinking about is he's the Grinch. He went into Whoville, which is Dallas. He took their tree, he took their Who hash, he okay. took their roast beast, and he stuffed it up the chimney and he left because <laughs> he absolutely embarrassed them. Like, I'm watching this game saying, How in the world can it be this easy? Like, and when I say bigs on Dallas, right? I'm using that term now loosely because you know Powell is not a big; he's an undersized center. He's really more of a power forward. Um, Lively has got great bounce, but he's not a guy that that really was uh, made for that fight last night. So Bonus did whatever he wanted to do. The level of force he was playing with. Was embarrassing, and it, it it got me sitting there thinking about Dallas. And realistically, what what do we expect from this team now? They've got they've gone off to a great start, slowed down a little bit now, but they had that great start out of the gate. So many questions always about Luke and Kyrie being together. It was working pretty well, and you know for a fact if they're in close games and you've got those two guys, man, you got a hell of a chance because both of those guys can be unstoppable offensively. So just keep it close, and now you've got two of the best closers in the game but it wasn't close last night. They couldn't keep it close because they were getting scored on every time down the floor. Right. And it wasn't just the bonus, it was Fox too. But the, so bonus, taking it off the glass and coming up the floor and then just going where he wanted to do. And then, you know, he goes at these just big pivots in the lane, step, step, step under a guy. Uh, he would drive baseline, get to the other side of the rim easily. He'd back guys down, get to his little jump hook in the lane. It just was so easy. The guy shoots 13 for 15. That illustrates how easy it was for him. And then, obviously, Fox is great, too, with 30 points. So I think what they showed you, I don't know that they still get enough credit for being one of the best tandems in the NBA. And the great thing about them is, similar to the guys you cover all the time with Murray and Jokic, because of the positions, man, they're so complementary of each other. And not all the combinations in this league are. They're very similar players. They're wing scorers. And it's it's like they're trying to do exactly the same things. It's not the case with Fox and Sabonis. They work seamlessly. They were both dominant last night. But the ease with which Sabonis dominated their front line, and they never really at any point made the adjustment, whatever that was going to be, not not personnel-wise. Whoa, what it. It? I was going to say, what's the adjustment, though? That's that's part of the problem. Well, the adjustment is you've got to figure out a way to get more bodies in front of him, right? And and make mm. somebody else shoot the basketball to beat you. They, they probably still would have last night. Because like you said, they're playing great basketball right now. They're in incredible rhythm. They're confident. They believe that they're one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, but it it just that, that to me is what stood out. I'm just watching the game saying, Man, this this guy is doing whatever he wants to this team. And defensively, you think, well, I know not a lot of teams have bigs like that, Adam. You know, Denver's got one, they have one. Like you think about other teams in the West, there's not a lot. Lakers have one, but he kind of plays on the perimeter a lot. You know, th- who else has that guy you got to worry about it but if these two guys have to play against dallas i do not know what dallas is supposed to do about because i think it'll be the same way pretty much all the time unless they come up with some kind of scheme to take it out of their hands immediately
0: oh minnesota maybe another one i know that towns plays outside gobert inside but still it, to me it is a you know a size question not even just a skills size question right. um so i do think there's a little bit there i am curious though um you know, you, you mentioned the Denver comparison to Sacramento. They're almost the inverted of Denver in that, and Denver clearly Jokic is the guy, and then Murray is playing off him, and it's the way they play together. I think Fox is the guy for the Kings. And I know the, the guy, you know, it's a team sport. They're, they're working together. But to me, Fox is the guy on that team that makes them special. And he is just playing unbelievable basketball right now. I mean, he could have easily been my weekend warrior because since he's come back to the lineup, this team not only is now looking like the team last year that was a top seed in the western conference they look actually better because of the growth of guys like keegan murray and some of the pieces around auxiliary pieces around them but they're shooting the ball better and i don't think that's a coincidence they had 34 assists last night legs and it was an effortless 34 in large part because they do what they do they find the open shooter sabonis dominates the paint so you're collapsing and they were just finding the open guy every time when they opened up that third quarter run with seven threes and then an eighth one on the first possession of the fourth quarter, it was a barrage of teamwork and ball movement that was just leading to open three after open three, and they didn't miss.
1: I think another way, Adam, that they've got uh, similarities to Denver is incredible role acceptance. Everybody mm. is in a comfortable lane. That When I watch Denver, I think that every time I watch them. And, and, and same thing with Sacramento. Whoever it is, they're empowered to do what they do well. And, they, and Mike Brown lets them do that and they know every night you know it's gonna be the same man same minutes I go in the game at the same time. the shots coming to me are gonna be similar um, and and so the, and obviously on you know, given nights you'll have a guy like Herder maybe go off a little bit more or Malik Monk go off a little bit more maybe they get more touches that night or they get extended minutes but everybody is so comfortable with how they're playing. Because they first, first they play for each other. There's no sign of selfishness on the team whatsoever. And and when you have two yeah. players that are your best two players that get it this efficiently, right? Then you, there's no problem ever from anybody else. Man, go ahead, do your thing. You're gonna you're gonna go out there and shoot these kind of percentages and still make the right play when you see traffic. Sign me up for that. And that's that's why they've been so fun to watch. You know, it's interesting too about Fox. I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine the other day, and I was like, man, that I don't think has the league ever had this depth at the lead guard position in terms of explosive scoring ability go up and down go up and down the list in this league right now right and and, and i was saying i came up with like i don't know maybe 15 names and I, and I was going each one of them would you take this guy over fox would you take this guy over fox would you take this guy over fox and when <laughs> and you might and you might think you might think there's more guys that you would until you start breaking it down that way and now you get hit yeah. with that question. You're kind of like, uh, no, I think I take Fox. And then you're left with, wow. Okay. So this guy's like a top five, top six lead guard. And in, in, in an era when there's never been this many guys that can do what they do. And I think we need to appreciate them even more than we, even more than we do. And maybe what we'll do that is, is, you know, a deep playoff run, you know, a, a, a conference final run or something like that. Maybe to finally elevate this guy to the status he deserves. Cause he is spectacular. But I think
0: it's come on a little bit recently. And some of this is just the team got better. But De'Aaron Fox to me is a guy whose reputation was sort of sealed in his first few years. But the growth in him over the last year and a half, season and a half is that's what's so immense. And right now he's shooting the ball extremely well. He's just doing everything really well to right now. I mean, he's shooting 52.5% right now on good volume, 10, 10, 3 pointers a game, 10 and a half three pointers a game, and he's at over 50%. That'll obviously regress throughout the course of the season but that was one of the last pieces to unlock for him. He, we know he can get downhill and beat anybody off the dribble. He might be the fastest guy with the ball in his hands. Not named John Morant. So he we know he has that and his table make, you know, his his playmaking and setting the table has been really really good alongside Sabonis, but can he shoot? And now off the dribble, catch and shoot, he's just shooting really well and really confidently. They started their run in the third quarter behind back-to-back the Aaron Fox threes. So to yeah. me that's the difference and that's why now I'm with you. I start to stack him
1: alongside a bunch of big names and I go, I don't know, maybe I would take Fox. We're going to do that one day because I think even for me and I went down every team in the league and I was, first of all, surprised that the list grew as long as it did because sometimes you're like, man, wow, there really are that many guys that are like elite level scorers at that spot. And you start, and I'm, when I say scorers, I'm using that term more than like point guard because that's what I'm talking about. All these guys, man, they're capable of getting 30 on any night. And, and the league's right. never had that many guys at this spot be able to do it. And I think what, he, so you talked about him uh, as far as being the fast guy with the ball. Yeah, I, you know, like we had those old superstars competition. It used to be on ABC, right? right. Would you get these athletes doing obstacle courses and stuff? Like, I'd love to see De'Aaron Fox and, and Tyrese Maxey lined up, head to head, dribbling through a series of cones, down and back, right? I just would love to see that. And I think Fox would probably win because I think he's – I was going to say, sink. I'm
0: taking Fox.
1: Yeah, he and I think the reason, if you didn't have a ball and you lined him up in starters blocks, like on a track, I don't know then. I don't know that because Maxi is a blur. But Fox's manipulation of the ball is tighter. So in yeah. a drill like mm. I'm talking about, it would be tighter because he gets that thing low and it's back and forth so fast. Maxi's a little bit higher, looser with his crossovers and stuff like that. So I think I would probably bet on Fox for that, but he's he's just, man, he is, oh, here's one last point about him. It is critical to have someone on your team that has an answer in the mid-range area of the floor because the three-point line is fickle in the playoffs. You can't always get to the rim or the paint. The middle area of the floor, 12 to 20 feet, he is elite. He is elite at getting to his spot and elevating off the floor like a pogo stick and going up. And he's so accurate with that 18-foot pull-up jumper, which is so important in the playoffs because possessions, you get deeper into the shot clock than you do in the regular season more often. You know, that bench will be called red, red, meaning you're down like under six seconds. And now you put the ball in the hands of a guy like that who can get to a spot, Elevated at 18 feet because those contested threes won't be there the, the getting to the rim won't be there in the playoffs as much that shot's critical and he adds that element
0: he's also great at the slalom euro step i don't know what we call this but it's not the euro step where you're stopping and going left right but you're weaving out of guys and he had a great one last night where it was like three defenders around one to the left around one to the right around one to the left and all told, he probably only went two feet side to side. So it's a right. narrow passageway, but somehow he slithered in between all of them. And he's just really good. Like you think Giannis, you think John Morant, you know, and De'Aaron Fox, those guys are all so good at those really tight slaloms, uh, slalom moves. Um, let's go to the other side and talk about the math So you talked a little bit here uh, about their defense. It is the thing to me that is concerning. Can they guard inside? If you look at their season so far, they have five losses. They have a narrow loss to the Toronto Raptors and a narrow loss to the Milwaukee Bucks just yesterday or two days ago. They got blown out by the Kings. They got blown out by the Nuggets and they got blown out by the Pelicans. What do those three teams have in common? The aforementioned size inside and the ability to really pound that score in the paint. And you were saying earlier, how many teams are there out West? But as we start talking, there's actually a lot. And I think when you have a a flaw like that where you say, man, can they overcome it in a playoff series? And there's three or four teams that present that challenge. You start to look at it and say, the odds are actually against you. You're almost, you're more likely than not to face one of those teams in the first or second round than you are to avoid them. So I don't know. To me, three blowouts
1: to three big paint scoring teams is, is a real concern. Yeah, they come back to earth. After that great start, and I think the defense is rearing its head, and knowing that this is going to be a problem for them all year, and you can't just expect uh, Luca and Kyrie to bail you out of that every night and trade baskets all the time. Um, and I still, I still watch them, and, and even their best two players, and I still think neither one of those guys is going to really get out there and leave skin on the floor on that end of the floor. They're just, they're not going to sprint no. back in transition. They're not going to, they're not going to put up a fight. They're going to wave at guys. When when guys beat them off the dribble sometimes and they know that they're gonna get theirs on the other end, they're gonna get guys back. And Luca, Luca does at least contribute a lot defensively in that he's a phenomenal defensive rebounder, which is how you finish possessions. It is part of your team defense. But you put him out there, you know, on the perimeter against guys that have a live dribble that are that, that are explosive, and man, they're by him all the time. You know, Kyrie is gonna hit screens and and, and it's gonna be over. Like he's not gonna to continue to fight through that. So I think the top when the top guys aren't really setting that example, it can be hard. They're going to win plenty of games because this is you know the talent level we're talking about. And Luka Doncic, you can make a strong argument is the most dominant offensive player in the NBA because of the number of ways he can beat you, including as a passer and just pick you apart, right? But it's, he can play in the post, he can play ISO, he can do, shoot step back threes over the top. He could, you know, he gets to the line all the ways that a score has to operate. You can make an argument. Like it's the toughest cover for anybody in the league. You don't have a right matchup for him. Too big, he goes by. Too small, he just beats you up physically, carries you to the rim. But that's, man, that's a tough way to have to win games. You know, the, the way yeah. they've got to have these shootouts and win them, because their their best two guys are better than yours on that particular night. The defense is something. We've said it before, Adam, on this show, Like you don't have to be a lead anymore defensively to win a championship. I don't believe that. But you can't be below average. You can't be – it can't be an afterthought. It still has to be something you're committed to. You might not just be – have the personnel for it, but at least you're conscientious about it. I'm not sure we're there with them, and they're small as it is. Luca,
0: to your point, had an all-time matador defense late in the game last night. I I think it was fourth I know. He waved at a guy. I think it was uh i don't i think it was monk not even fox i think he got out on the island with malik monk and gets down like he pressures him all the way at half court like he's gonna do something and then as soon as he gets beat he just stopped and looked around and i thought man you can't do that you're gonna pretend you're gonna guard you gotta guard but the transition part of this is more interesting to me because luca is i probably him and lebron the two biggest guys that they don't like a play call they'll stop and talk to the ref for 10 seconds rather than jump back and this year this is one of the things that Dallas is different when you look at okay what's different about this team this year to last year they are it seems trying to play faster they're getting out they've always been one of the slowest teams walk the ball up the court and they're just so good in the half court when they have luka doncic on your team but this year they're also mixing in a little bit of fast break points i think they have the third fastest i, I looked this up you, you like my nerd stats here legs they take shots the third fastest after a made basket in the league so even after a made basket, you got to inbound it and bring it in. They're the third quickest at getting the ball up the court. That's a new trait for them, um, and it could, should be a weapon if it doesn't cost you in what are you doing defensively on those other possessions. You got to match energy on offense with energy on defense.
1: I love that stat, and again, it speaks to the fact that that cost you two more shows on your favorite, you know, two more episodes of your favorite <laughs> show, which is fine. Which is fine. I love these. I love these nuggets. Nobody comes up with nuggets better than you, and that's not. I'm not trying to have a play on words here. But yes, they listen. They, they are all year long. I don't think my our conversation is going to change about the Dallas Mavericks. They are always going to be dangerous because of Luka Doncic, and and more so with him than Kyrie. Kyrie's a great. He's a great option. One A, you know. And and now they have a guy that when Luka goes over and and gets you know a, a four minute blow they can still run their offense through a guy that can continue to get buckets. So that's like the biggest difference when they added Kyrie a year ago, that's the biggest benefit. Luca, Luca. once Brunson left, like Luca was not able to leave the court and have that team hold people off. And all the work he did, he came back in, he was exhausted. You know, you're up six. Now you're down four. By the time I check back in the game, that's exhausting over a course of time that they were, they've answered that with Kyrie Irving, but we're never going to be watching the Dallas Mavericks. And I don't think this year, and unless there's a personnel change at the trading deadline, I think, man. And actually, Grant Williams is a defensive-minded guy. And he's, I don't think it makes that much of a difference when overall man. you're not a great defensive team. A great defender can get lost in that. And Grant Williams was known for that in Boston. Um, it, it, you're not noticing that as much now because the perimeter defense on this team is just not very good uh, at the point of attack. And they're small. If you run into a dominant big with talent, they're going to have problems. But they're capable winning any night because of those two players all right that's four teams we broke down mm-hmm. we talked
0: about the games we did some breakdowns but let's now get into a fun topic here legs where I'm going to put you on the spot I'm going to ask about some young building blocks and I wanted you to tell me who you would rather build your team around and we're going to start mm-hmm. with two teams in the Eastern Conference Cade Cunningham and Scotty Barnes so different players different molds of players similar in age um You've got, they're both 22 years old. And then you see the numbers there on screen right now, pretty comparable. When you just go numbers for numbers, obviously, Scotty Barnes, a bigger uh, rebounding threat. But you look at this, uh, you look at the numbers here and you look at what they do. Who is the better cornerstone piece, legs?
1: Hey, I'm Nate Thurston, and I'm supposed to write a 30-second ad that tells you
0: everything you need to know about my podcast, Good Morning Liberty, which I co-host with Charlie, my best friend of 20 years. That's a tough feat to accomplish, but let's give it a shot. At Good Morning Liberty, we cover the news every day from an individual liberty perspective. We believe that you own yourself, and a tyrannical, overreaching government is the biggest threat to your liberty. If you agree, you can find a new episode every day of the week on your podcast app, or by going to lies.com
1: in your browser. I gotta go with Scotty Barnes. And it's, it's, it's tough a lot of times if you t- pit a lead guard against a guy that's not you know and, and you're this kind of conversation obviously there's gonna be talented guys we're talking about that lead guard you think man you know you got to fill that spot this guy it's just you know you got a guy like that franchise player at that position but scotty barnes can play point guard at times scotty barnes can guard every player on the court um you saw the numbers with his playmaking he's not even the primary ball handler a lot of times for them and and he still has almost the same assist numbers cave cunningham who's got the ball whenever he wants it scoring numbers very similar and scotty barnes is not a pure scorer he's not a guy that's thinking about getting his all the time he's just a super well-rounded tough player that checks every box does a little bit of everything for you and then i think has the capability to eventually be like a first team all league defensive player i don't know that I could say that about Cade Cunningham. So give me this utility knife that I think is also, by the way, his upside, his ceiling as a scorer. If he's if he's getting a 20 a night this early, maybe it's more than I thought it was. I thought maybe Scotty Barnes would top out at 18. I think Scotty Barnes, look, he might he might be a 23, 24 point scorer in this league and 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 every night be a triple double threat type guy while guarding the best player on the other team. Like that is now you have like a franchise type of guy. Um, so I, I, I'd, I'd lean Scotty Barnes I'm curious to get your thoughts. Uh, as we do
0: this, if you're in the chat, let us know yours as well. I'm kind of curious. A lot of these are really, really close. So I'm kind of curious if there's consensus amongst the chat or what people are thinking. That's one of the benefits of watching this show live on YouTube. Um, I, here's my thing with Cade, cause I really like Cade as a player and I feel like he's been disappointing to this point, but I look at his roster and I go, that's a really tough roster to to figure out. That's a really tough roster to navigate. And I think if you swapped you know, each guy, I think Cade would look better in Toronto and Scotty would look worse in, in Detroit. So part of me wants to give a, a longer re- leash to Cade Cunningham. He seems to be more of a star caliber player, but here's the other part of this and how I'd really think of it. As much as I like Cade, can he be the best player on a championship team? I would say probably not. I think he could be the second best and he could be the playmaker alongside an elite shooter. I think Scotty Barnes is the same, but he might be better at being a second best player than Kate is at being a second best player. So, to me, I wouldn't build my team around either one. But if yeah. I was, if that was my first guy in, I'd say, okay, Scotty Barnes, and let's find a dynamic scorer to put alongside him, and let Scotty Barnes be the, you know, the all-around Scotty Pippen type player, for lack of a better uh, comparison. Um. All right, let's go to the next one here, Emma. What do we have? Oh, this one's tough. Shea Gilchrist, Alexander, or Tyrese Halliburton. Two of my favorite players. Shea's 25. Halliburton's only 23. If we would have done this a year ago, people would have called us crazy. But Halliburton is having the type of leap year that Shea had, you know, last season, the season before. So you look at the numbers. Obviously, a clear advantage for Shea in points. Obviously, a huge advantage for Tyrese in assists. They're different molds. That's why this one's kind of fun. Legs, which way are you going? Oh,
1: man. It's, I don't even like that you did this. You, you know, I know, this is two of my favorites. It's really like this is like picking one guy actually hurts your heart that you didn't pick the other guy. Like you're that disappointed yep. that you can't yep. have both of these guys because your approach to it is going to be different. All right, SGA is is, I mean he he's top five hardest guys to guard in the league now. Uh, he is a guy that thrives in late game situations you know that he's going to get something good for himself he's he's got so much in his game offensively that i would maybe lean there but then i look at halliburton and say yeah but this is a guy whose passing is transcendent like his ability to make every single guy on the floor better that part is so special is so special and He's not a, He's not going to give you 15, 16. He's capable of having 30-point nights. I've t- t- told you how I think You know his, his release is kind of quirky and funky, but, man, that thing goes in. He's 40, what, three, 43%? Is that what the numbers just showed us? 43% from the three for the year. Yep. So if the reason is because he takes ones that he's, when he's got a little bit more time because he takes a little bit more time to get it off. and he, So he's selective about the ones he takes, which is great, but his ability to make every guy on that roster – the best version of themselves because of his ability to get you the ball when you need it. I think I would probably lean toward Halliburton.
0: I, I think I would lean towards Tyrese as well, man. And I, I, again, I'm with you in that this it's painful to go against Shea because he's one of my favorite players. The defensive component is important. I see a lot of people in the chat talking about Shea's defense being better than Tyrese's. I, th- I think that's very fair. Um, but to me, it is the making your teammates better part that I just love. When you talk about cornerstone pieces, you put a guy like Tyrese on the court, every other player you put around him is going to have career years. They're all they're all going to be a little bit better. You're going to get a little bit more out. And then he plays a style that is not – it doesn't swallow up the half court. Even though he's in right. control, he can play where the ball – he can – He's like Lonzo Ball in this way in that when Lonzo, as a prospect, especially in college, the ball didn't have to be in his hands for him to be creating shots for people. He could get it quickly to where it needed to go, cut, do screen, do different things in the half court, and I think Halliburton is very similar in that way. So to me, I do think I would probably go with Halliburton for that reason, but you can't go wrong with either one, and Shea, I have to give him a – Shea, to me, is not as good at that. I think he's best with the ball in his hand. But this year, what's so interesting about the Thunder is the ball's not in his hands too often, and as much as it was in years past. And the, he's, the team is great when the ball's not in his hands. He's doing other things, and other guys are, are starting to attack, and they have a rhythm with him being a lower-usage player. So maybe there's more to Shea's game than he's shown to this point, just by virtue of they have talent on that roster, finally.
1: An interesting last point on this. They both kind of also think about the teams they're on, and like, kind of like in similar situations, right? They're... They're, they're, I think, certainly Oklahoma City better last year than we thought. They continue to grow and emerge. Indiana has been a real surprise this year. So both teams are sort of climbing that pecking order in their respective conferences, which is fun because it means hopefully we get to see these guys in the playoffs.
0: Can you imagine that, man? Those guys matching up against each other would be a lot of fun. Similar bodies types, too. Um, and, and the chat, I'm kind of surprised. The chat going mostly with Tyrese Halliburton. I don't, maybe we influenced the chat. I don't know, but I, I'm kind of surprised by that. Uh, the last one for today. We'll have to do some of these more, uh, some of these tomorrow. But the last one today: Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, and some more heavy hitters, man. Luka Doncic, twenty-four. Jason Tatum, twenty-five. You look at the numbers there. They kind of split everything in terms of efficiency and points and rebounds and assists. Goes back and forth here. This one's a stylistic question because these two guys are very, very different.
1: If you had asked me this question probably midway through Lucas' second year, um I was it would be incomprehensible to me that I pick anybody behind besides him. Laughable, but, yeah. But as time has gone on, and I said earlier today, I, this you could make an argument this is the most dominant offensive player in the league, the most unstoppable force on uh, the ways that he can beat you. I haven't seen the growth as um, a leader as a guy that's going to incrementally improve defensively that is going to stop with all of the theatrics with the officials, you know, constantly, like you know, we're, we're, you're, you're deep enough into your career now, like that stuff needs to, to go away and like not be a distraction to your team and be more focused on that. Tatum. I just feel like there's a seriousness about him and he takes too many threes for me. I will definitely say that he, t- he bails defenses out. Cause I think he takes too many threes but he competes defensively. He likes the challenge. He's not gonna run from a matchup. If he's supposed to be guarding an elite level wing, he's gonna guard that guy. Now he looks, he's got Jalen Brown, that's great. They can switch a lot of stuff, okay. But they're not gonna go hide him on a spot up shooter. All right, if you got an elite level wing on the floor that needs to be guarded. Jason Tatum wants that matchup. He will affect that matchup. He has proven he can be pretty damn lethal late game. Now, obviously Luka can too. So that, that that clutch component is there for him as well. I just think the fact that he competes on both ends of the floor uh, would probably push me toward Tatum, and, and and I'm surprised to even hear myself say that because of how much I admire Luca Doncic's dominance offensively. But there's these other things he drives me insane, and he needs to clean up when I watch him to think is to really take him seriously as a guy that can lead a team to a championship. Some of that stuff, man, you got to be better defensively, care more on that end, just care more. And then knock off all the nonsense with the officials, because I think it just hurts your team. There's no question. I think all of those
0: points are are very fair. And Luca, you know, we kind of write off, OK, well, he's 24. He's going to grow up. He's going to do this. Some guys don't. Some guys never really grow up, you know, in that way, as far as the leadership component of this and, and the understanding, the little things that it takes to win. A lot of people in the chat kind of commenting, if you give Luca the Boston Celtics roster, all the supporting cast, he probably would be in a finals as well, if not have already won one. I think hold that's Hold on a fair. It, hold
1: on, hold on, hold on. I got I to jump in on that. It, it, because, all right, how, how, can you, how can anybody make that statement with the way he plays? So, well, the well, way he that, plays, 100%. Look at the ball dominance and the usage of rate right, of Luca Doncic, right? And he likes to play one style. And he's not right. really ever in a hurry. And that's kind of one of the things that makes him tough to guard. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it necessarily lends itself to being that easy to play with and incorporate, right? So I think Tatum's a little easier in that way. Now, Tatum's going to do his thing. He's going to be a raw scorer. He gets the ball, he's first option. He's going to look for his. But he's not dominating controlling the ball to that extent. So I don't know that I would necessarily automatically agree with that. Oh, if Luca had those guys, I don't know that. Because the whole dynamic of the way they play when they've been at their best offensively would change. So i don't know right. that i don't think anybody really knows that is that you can't just make that leap and plug in guys right. around with the same name and say oh it'll be much better I, I don't agree i i think what people are trying to get at is just that the aggregate
0: talent on the mavericks for most of the years of the Luka era has not been great you know players that you would look at and say oh that's a great third best player fourth best player but that might be a function to your point but that might be a function to your point of how they play and can you be a great third, fourth option in the Luka system? Or are you just kind of like, your, your role is so narrowly defined? It's a, it's a fair question. I'd still go with Luka Doncic, to be clear, because I think he is more dominant. And I do think there are ways you could build a roster, albeit not my favorite style of basketball by any means. But I think that you can build successful rosters around him. And Dallas has actually done a pretty poor job, I would say, in, in his time so far of building that roster. But Legs, what's interesting to me about this question is, I think a lot of people look at this one and say, this is so easy. Look at how dominant Luka is with assists and rebounds and he even scores more than Tatum. So how could you, what does Tatum have? He has nothing that Luka doesn't have when you look at it that way. But it reminds me of the LeBron versus Kobe debates. And look, I think LeBron was a better player than Kobe Bryant. Like this, I'm not trying to bring up that old thing. But people, I think, early on would look at it and say, just break it down and say, well, he's a better rebounder, a better passer, a better, more efficient, like all these different things, as if they all count for one point. But sometimes being an unguardable offensive force as a scorer is—it opens other things up that don't show up in the statistical in, in, in the stat sheet. And I think Kobe was probably one of these guys. Kevin Durant is one of these guys. Does he do all of the things that the all-around players do? No. But when you're such a great offensive player that the entire defense is always bent to what you do, that's really valuable. And Tatum to me represents that kind of player. He's such a great one-on-one player that even when he's not involved in the play, he's still taking up your best defender and he's still taking up a lot of your help side mentality. Like we're, you're always focused on where he is. So I
1: want to. Make, I, can I, I make a Can I make a really quick point before we get off on this rebounding notion? Too is I just want to make a point here, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to denigrate anything Luca does because I said he's he's a he's an elite rebounder on the defensive glass. Here's where he does have an advantage, though, on that end of the floor. Jason Tatum is usually guarding the guys out on the perimeter, chasing them around. They're taking these shots. Okay, Luca, right. a lot of times, is not on those guys. Luca's kind of right. hanging out by the edge of the lane. He's got nobody to box out. Ball goes up. He goes in and gets. He also is always on the inside slot on on, on free throws. So he's he, he where Tatum's not. So you pick up a couple there every game at least. Um, so it's like little ways like that. And I, I think for me, what pushed it in Tatum's just barely in Tatum's, direct, Tatum's direction is the amount of energy he's going to expend to, to try to be a leader on that end of the floor and take on the challenges, I just think really affects your team and permeates your entire roster
0: i like this man we disagreed on this one um which is great because it's razor thin these two players are so razor thin and we might look back at this the internet lives forever legs and we might look back at this in 10 years and be like what were we doing we're on the wrong side of this obvious obvious debate but it just goes to show two great young players really at the knee of the curve for their for for them i mean the league they are the future of the league in a lot of ways and it'll be fun to kind of see how that plays out that does it for a Monday edition. We are back again tomorrow. And also, I want to announce, not only are we doing a show tomorrow, um, talking about the, the games tonight, but we're also doing an AMA, an Ask Me Anything, a mailbag over on Reddit. So if you are one of those people that's on Reddit, head on over to rmba. You'll see our our, our AMA there. You can go ahead and put your questions in. Legs tomorrow will be hopping on to answer all of your NBA questions. For now, do us a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on YouTube so you can watch the show live and join it and be interactive as all the people in the chat were today. Legs, good stuff today. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to tomorrow. Hit that like button on the way out, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: like the mayor.